0: Boy. All I right.
1: Um, I think we're going to go ahead and get started here. Uh, my name is Morgan Smith. I am a reporter with the Texas Tribune. I'm a, on behalf of the Tribune and everyone up here on stage, I'd like to welcome you to the sixth annual Texas Tribune Festival. Um, we are here today to, for a discussion of um, vaccine requirements in Texas. Um, the panel you're in is called uh, Why Are We Fighting About Vaccines? Um, and we are privileged to have people up here who um, have become very well acquainted with that fight. Um, Directly to my left, I have Jackie Schlegel. She is a mother turned activist who founded a political action committee to help protect an exemption in state law for parents who want to opt their kids out of vaccine requirements. Uh, she was spurred to do that during the last legislative session when State Representative Jason Vialba, a Dallas Republican who is um, sitting right here with the purple tie, um, proposed a bill that would close that exemption. Um, next to Representative Vialba, um, I'm gonna go to Representative Zedler who is an Arlington Republican um, who's been a prominent opponent of attempts to uh, strengthen vaccine laws. And then finally on the end, um, I have Anna drags back. back, drags back. <laughs> sorry about that, um, a public health attorney and president of the Immunization Partnership, a Houston-based organization working to eradicate vaccine-presentable diseases. Um, and so before we get to the main event, I just, as a quick reminder, I know that this is a passionate topic, people have a lot of feelings about it, but I just wanna ask members of the audience to refrain from any clapping or any other kind of outbursts while we're up here on stage, um, our, I think everyone's goal here today is for us to have a conversation and everyone in the audience to right. be able to hear that. Um, the last third of our of our time is going to be reserved, though, for questions from the audience, so if there's something that you want to ask about that comes up, please uh, make a note of it. Um, but let's just go ahead and get started. Um, I think that, you know, the title of this, of this panel is, is um, you know, why are we fighting about vaccines, but I think there might be people in the audience who say, you know, should we be fighting about vaccines? Isn't the science on this settled? Um, there are also people out there who are thinking, what what is the big deal if parents want to be able to make their own choices based on the information out there for their kids? Um, so I'd like to ask each of the panelists, um, I've ask them in advance two sentences or fewer. Um, We'll try and stick to that. But um, Ms. let's if you don't mind, let's start with you. Sure,
2: sure. Um, So the question is, why are we talking about vaccines? And the answer is because vaccines really are a victim of their own success. We have eradicated or nearly eradicated many, many diseases that used to keep our parents up at night. But lately, people have started subscribing to um, alternative theories and to um, very dangerous beliefs that vaccines are riskier than the diseases. And that's because we don't see the diseases anymore and the risk-benefit analysis has been very, very skewed. And so we need to be talking about vaccines because without vaccines, the diseases can and will and are coming back. Representative Yalba.
3: Well, it's clear that we have a group of of individuals who have uh, abandoned the scientific community's response to these issues. And they're very active and they're very vocal. They're usually a minority. They're very passionate about the issues that they care about. And because of that, we're seeing a reemergence of individuals who are fighting against the uh, vaccina- vaccinations in general. And uh, look, we, w- we want to recognize the passion of these people because they do have injured children, often uh, from whatever cause. But in this instance, uh, what the result is, is that the parental rights of these individuals is now beginning to infringe upon the parental rights of uh, others in the community. And I think it's that reason that we're having this debate today.
4: Uh, thank you for having us here today. Uh, I believe uh, if you, Ronald Reagan said it best. He said, we have a rendezvous with destiny. We, the American people, will either continue to make the decisions based on what's in our best interest and the best interest of our families, or we're going to allow a handful of elitists at the top who have a vested financial interest in the outcome to make that decision for us. I think that's the issue.
5: Um, I would say that... um That's the million-dollar question. Why are we fighting about vaccines? Um, I'm not really here fighting for or against vaccines. I'm fighting for the fundamental principle that the state doesn't get to make medical decisions for my children, and that is why I'm here. Thanks. So to to kind of
1: set the scene a little bit, um, since 2003, um, the number of children with non-medical exemptions to uh, school vaccine requirements has soared. um, That... And these are exemptions that parents allow on um, religious or philosophical grounds. So this is not; um, these are not kids that are receiving these exemptions for a medical reason. Um, but it, that number has soared. It's climbed from about 9 tenths of a percent in 2004 to about um, to almost one percent during the most recent school year. Um, I, I want to kick it back to uh, Ms. Dragsbeck. When you look at those numbers. Um, you know, as someone through the lens of someone who is working to eradicate diseases, um, what, is your, what is your reaction?
2: We are absolutely going in the wrong direction. Um, the more people in the community that exempt out of vaccines for their own personal reasons, the more at risk everybody in our community is, especially vulnerable children who are not fully immunized and adults who may have some kind of an a Im- immune compromised uh, situation. And so these numbers are really a major concern. The other problem with these numbers, if you hear like 1%, you think, well, that's not so many kids, Texas is a big state. Surely that doesn't interrupt the herd immunity, but it does because you get pockets of unprotected communities. These people who choose non-medical exemptions tend to cluster in geographical communities, in schools, in faith communities, and in other places where if the disease, if a disease like measles were to hit that community, it would spread like wildfire because measles is one of the most contagious diseases on the face of the planet. And so this is what we're concerned about. There already have been outbreaks of measles and pertussis in Texas and mumps in Arkansas and other diseases across the country, and, um, and we can do better. May I respond to that? Yeah,
5: Jackie, you're you're <laughs> one. Of, I'm sorry. You are one of the parents. Key, yeah, I, I am. If my children go seasons. to a school with a 30% opt-out rate, and from the way that they're talking, you would think that every year we have children dying and we have these huge outbreaks, and we just don't see it. That is not what we see. But while we're talking about the numbers, what about the 3.4 billion dollars that has been spent compensating families who have been injured? This is a re- very, very real issue. Families are are being compensated because their children were injured by vaccines. The government has conceded that. What about those children? So there is, I mean, this growing movement
1: of parents that believe that vaccines are have somehow harmed their kids, but um, you know, there has yet to be any medical evidence that, that backs that up. And in fact, there have been- The
5: government has conceded it. Yeah, oh yeah. Several studies. I mean, studies. we have a, we have no, a that's federal actually, that's actually misinformation. No, that's, that's not, not, not misinformation. Conceded. $3.4 there, billion dollars there are, has been What you're spent. talking well, about is
2: the vaccine court. And the vaccine court, let me just explain to you what that is. I'm well the aware. The vaccine court is an alternative to the tort system so that people who do have genuine injuries from vaccines can get compensation without having to go through the hassle of a legislative process or a, a, a litigation process. And so yes, there's been people who have gotten um, awards from the vaccine court. I will add that almost two-thirds of those awards actually go to lawyers. right bring so the cases. It is just, they're being, there is, a, there they're is just a, being
5: compassionate right there, i mean there these is really a table of
2: actual actual conditions that can be caused by vaccines because like Every medical intervention, vaccines are not foolproof. Of
5: course, they're not. In in Just in like a, per- in a perfect proof, world, but you have a choice proof. whether you want to take Tylenol or not. Exactly. You are not well, mandating every person takes Tylenol, and that's where we have the issue. This this is we an actually issue don't where have you are mandating in Texas. So,
3: well, so well, let's, let's get back. Let's, back, let's, well, sorry, we me, do. let's, let's get back let's, to talk about the choice. Let's talk about the choice in the concept of mandate. There is no mandate in Texas that you must immunize your children. You could either homeschool, you could go to a private institution that provides for that.
5: It says and, the representative and, uh, from Dallas, Paris. not every Paris parent can do let's that. Sorry. Yes, I let's agree. let him finish his sentence.
3: And, and so because of that, in, in the public school system, we're just saying if you wanna to go to the public school system, take away the arguments about litigation, take away the arguments about Pharma, we're talking about children's lives, and we know one thing that science has taught us for the last 50 years. That is, if you immunize your children and if you immunize public school children, you will have a safer population than if you don't. Are there some situations where vaccines may have pr- pr- created an issue? Um, I, I can't concede that point. I'm sure Ms. Povato will tell us that that has occurred. But in the end, the policy that we weigh in the legislature is, are we going to help the greater good? by having these types of requirements versus the liberty argument that Mr. Zedler would make. And I think that we as, as policy makers have to weigh the good and the health of the community and that outweighs to me this concept of social or parental liberty. My rights as a parent, I have three children in public schools, end when I take action that infringes
4: upon the rights of others to be safe. May I say something? Please. Oh, uh, listen. If you want to vaccinate your children, that is great. That, and that's the thing. You see, what they want to say is, oh, we want, no, no, we don't just want to vaccinate ours. We want to vaccinate yours. And I think therein is the difference. If your child is vaccinated, if we follow the scheme of quote-unquote science, then the fact of the matter is, then your child is safe. The fact of the matter is, if on the other hand, as I look at some of the vaccines out there and I say, you know what? this vaccine would be best for my children, but maybe not this one, or I may want to give it instead of this regimented cookie-cutter type medicine, which, by the way, is bad medicine. Cookie-cutter medicine is bad medicine, and that is what they do with vaccine schedules. They say everybody's going to get it here, 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 and here, and there are no exceptions unless you want to try and do something about it. And believe me, me, when you try and do something about it, They are going to put immense pressure on you uh, to peer pressure and all kinds of things to try and make sure that you get your child vaccinated when, if the vaccine works, their child is vaccinated and, quote unquote, they're supposedly safe.
3: Well, let me me address that quickly, too. The reason that I wrote wrote my legislation that I did on this bill was because my wife came to me and she said, Jason, we've got a one-year-old child in the house and that one-year-old child is not immunized according to the schedule because before one years old, you don't do certain immunizations. Now, if if my daughters go to school and there is a pocket of unvaccinated children, and those unvaccinated children present uh, measles or pertussis, right, Um, and they come home, they could be carriers for that one-year-old who's not protected. It's not just about the kids who are actually protected, it's about the one-year-old, and also seniors above the age of 60, who may not be immunized at all. And so we have a very serious issue to, to deal with when we're talking about this issue. It's not just the children who are immunized, it's the children that they come home to or their parents or so their grandparents. I just
5: to so, excuse me, I, I
2: would like to say a few well, things. And then we'll so, so what you're talking about, Representative Zedler, is medical exemptions and nobody is talking about getting rid of medical exemptions. How about religious exemptions? No, Nobody's talking about getting rid of religious exemptions either. That's not what Representative Villalba's bill did. And so if you, if you truly have a child that cannot be immunized for medical reasons, nobody in this world is going to force you to do that. But that's why even more children need to be immunized to protect the ones that can't be. And thank you for bringing out the liberty argument because this is a liberty, arg- this is a liberty discussion. Parents who have vulnerable children should have the liberty to send them to a public school without fearing for their lives.
4: Liberty doesn't mean encroaching on someone else's liberty. Oh,
2: yes, That's, it oh, no, no, can. Sir. No, sir.
4: <laughs> that, you will never find that in any one of the founding fathers. It is never allowed to encroach on someone else's we liberty. We don't
2: allow people to drive and drink at the same time. Not because we want to protect just those people, but because we want to protect the entire community around them. We certainly have plenty of laws that do start to infringe on other people's rights because that comes with responsibility. Well, you better
4: go back and read the Constitution because first and foremost, the fact of the matter is, is driving is not a right, driving is a privilege. The second thing is, is this. We're not talking about you drinking, we're talking about you imposing your will on someone else to force them to inject themselves with uh, a substance that, I'm sorry, does to some okay. cause damage.
2: So, so what you're talking about is being free to Forcing make the Forcing people choice. to not drive drunk doesn't damage anybody else. There is no requirement to be immunized. There's only a requirement to be immunized if you want to go to a public school. Okay, may I add There are plenty there. of may, people may, may who can educate please. their children another
5: way. It doesn't okay. have to be a Let public school. Let me chime school. in yeah. there and say, if you think this is stopping with public school children, exactly. you are wrong. You are absolutely wrong. Because this herd, this, this whole idea that everyone, this is the only pharmaceutical in America where everybody has to have it for it to work. Okay, if you think they are stopping in public school children, you are wrong. They are not stopping. They've already started in California with adult mandates. They have already started to roll out a recommended schedule. So when you look at these bills and you say, oh, it's just for public school children. No, it's not. They are not stopping until every single one of us is a lifelong customer for their products. (laughs)
2: Well that's just ridiculous because there's no adult mandates, you can't mandate adult vaccines. I'd like to know kind of what your in citation California, is for California, they are doing They it. don't have adults. Absolutely, adult. yes Believe they me, are. I
5: know the California statutes inside and out it and they do not require adults It is absolutely horrifying to, to me as those. a Texan that we are modeling legislation after California. I mean, I keep well, hearing Representative Vialba say I'm a conservative, but yet you are modeling legislation after California. My how, legislation how on earth my, was not modeling that? My,
3: my legislation preceded California's law. They modeled theirs after mine. Um, <laughs> My, my legisl- wow. And yeah, my, <laughs> my legislation did not reach into the private schools. We recognize in Texas that uh, the private school system has certain rights and privileges that you're recognizing yourself as a mother in, in a private school. And we also recognize that we have homeschool uh, to, for kids uh, that may not want to be immunized. Um, that We're not saying it's a mandate. We're not saying it's a requirement. We're saying if you're going to go to public school with other children who may be vulnerable, You have to have certain levels of protections. We make you wear a helmet if you're riding a bicycle. We make you drive below the speed limit or at the speed limit if you're driving a car. Every law is an infringement upon our liberty. Whether you like it or not, it is. Because any law that says you have to do something is a limitation of your ability to do that thing. Here, we're talking not only about your ability to to be safe, but to expect a level of safety within the public school system. We're not talking about saying, let's make everyone uh, go get these these horrible toxins or poisons, as you call them. Uh, what, we're talking, what we're talking about is, let's make our community safe. This isn't about the pharmaceutical industry or about lawsuits or about people trying to uh, line their pockets with these situations or with, with these resources, this is about protecting our families, protecting our community, and making sure we have safe public schools for our children. Just like we do when we have uh, situations that protect our children from active shooters, and we've, we've developed laws for that, that I, that I also authored. This is just about protecting kids. Uh, well, representative- Let me
1: just, if you don't mind, okay. um, let's, I, I'm curious, you know, now that we've kind of aired out <laughs> <laughs> some of the, the disagreements up here, um, I mean, is there room for compromise, Representative Zedler, Ms. Shagel, on some of the concerns, I mean, should the, should the state maybe require a little bit more than just signing an affidavit for parents that want to get a conscientious exemption for, for from vaccine requirements for their kids? You know, should the state maybe do a better job of tracking who has these exemptions in the case there is some type of dangerous disease outbreak so that we know kind of where the
5: vulnerable spots are? Well, I will chime in on one thing. As a mother, um, I certainly am very opinionated, but in in the last few weeks and months, um, my role has started to evolve more into where people are starting to call. And I'm not only getting phone calls from parents now, but I'm getting phone calls from doctors. Doctors in the state of Texas that are no longer able to practice how they see fit because they are having mandates placed on them. Their groups are placing mandates on them as far as the schedules that they have to adhere And I've literally had doctors say, you know what? I I can't practice medicine anymore. And I would rather close up shop than continue to live under these rules and regulations that are not about the patient. Um, So it's not just about parents. I mean, I I feel like doctors uh, definitely, I'm getting the phone calls that they are concerned about the route we are going. And they don't want to end up like California. We are in Texas. But I, just, I can tell you there's,
2: we're getting a lot of phone calls from doctors who are just de- very, very concerned about the fact that so many people are declining vaccines and have stories about children who come into their clinics with diseases that are 100% preventable.
4: Yeah. yeah. Uh, first of all, let me respond to two of uh, uh, Representative Villalba's uh, examples. Uh, if I drive 20 miles an hour, that, that doesn't threaten my... Uh, safety. If I wear a helmet while I'm riding a bike, it doesn't threaten my safety. But what we, can we do? I believe, first and foremost, we get the uh, uh, drug manufacturers' uh, representatives off the CDC and the FDA. The second thing is, is I think that we require them to be, uh, uh, to be uh, transparent in why they make certain decisions. Right now, it's in a closed room. They make it. And we don't know why they're making it. So I think some of the things we can do is that uh, the Actually, other thing neither is... one of those
2: two things are correct. The no, no, ACIP well, is in it an is open correct. hearing and it's streamed over the Internet. So those are, that's where well, they make... Well,
4: some of them are, but not all of them. Not when they make a, a public, policy about... A public. Instance, that so is So when they decided that we're going to give every newborn baby hepatitis B vaccine, it was made in an open deal? Is yes, that what
2: you're, it was made in an open hearing at ACIP, yes. I streamed over the Internet.
1: I'd just like to read something that um, is from the American Academy of Pediatrics website. um, And it's about how a vaccine um, is licensed in the United States. Um, Before a vaccine is licensed in the United States, the Food and Drug Administration reviews all aspects of development, including where and how the vaccine is made and the studies that have been conducted in people who have received the vaccine. The FDA will not license a vaccine unless it meets standards for effectiveness, meaning how well the vaccine works, and safety. Results of studies get reviewed again by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the American Academy of Pediatrics, and the American Academy of Family Physicians before a licensed vaccine is officially recommended to be given to children. Every lot of vaccine is tested to ensure quality, including safety, before the vaccine reaches the public. In addition, FDA regularly inspects places where vaccines are made. Um, But it sounds like that you two are pointing out problems with that that's
5: not comforting,
1: that's not something that comforts you. I think,
5: you know, we live in this day and age where, you know, we're constantly uh, questioning the pharmaceutical industry. We're constantly questioning transparency, but yet for some reason we put vaccines up on this pedestal that there's absolutely, they're safe and effective all the time and there could never be any corruption in the program and that's just false. And furthermore, then they keep calling us anti-vaxxers when many of us vaccinated our children abundantly, I might add. And we're not anti-vaxxers. We are pro-transparency. We're pro-liberty. We're pro, you know, safe and effective vaccines. I think children should have access to the safest vaccines on the market. But their parents also need to have a choice because there's absolutely a risk with that vaccine. So vaccines are very safe
2: and very effective. They go through rigorous testing, as you've just pointed out. And then even after they're on the market, they continue to go through testing. They continue to go under surveillance. And when a vaccine is seen to be not safe or not effective, it is pulled, just like the flu mist was this past uh, fall. So we, we are watching very closely, we do recognize when something's not going the way it should be, and those vaccines do get pulled. So it is one of the safest medical interventions in, in the history of mankind.
1: And I, I mean, I, I did kind of want to go back to one of my initial questions, because I think it got a little bit lost, but just, you know, is there room for compromise? I mean, do we need additional steps for, you know, maybe so many doctors wouldn't be concerned or there wouldn't be a need for, um, you know, doctor's clinics to say, we're not accepting non-vaccinated kids anymore. Um, if there were maybe an additional step that parents went through perhaps um, before they got an exemption. I mean, is that something that- Let's, let's talk should, about some yeah.
3: legislation yeah. <clears throat> that might ultimately end up in the legislative session this com- coming up. Look, the bill that I filed, I believed, was a compromise. It was only public schools. It did did have a religious exemption. It did have medical exemption. It only removed the conscientious exemption. That was all we tried to achieve in that legislation. That being said, we got some pushback. Uh, We didn't get through committee. Um, And what I said uh, after the campaign that I had recently is, that legislation is is not ready yet for Texas until there is a significant outbreak. And I won't file that bill again. But there is a bill that uh, I'll be participating uh, with Dr. Sheffield on this year that I think is smart policy. And what that bill says is, look, I, I get it. Uh, the, the, the the vaccination folks have spoken. Uh, where they don't want a bill removing the conscious exemption. But if I go to a public school, I should have the right for transparency to know um, what percentage of children in that school are actually not vaccinated. What is the percentage? I don't want to know the names. I don't want to know the backgrounds. I don't want to know the parents. I just want to know the percentage of the population at my public school is non-vaccinated so that I can make a choice as a parent whether or not to keep my child in that school or take my child to a a school where I believe my child will be safer. That legislation is coming. Um, I will be co-authoring or joint authoring that one and I think that one is one that we will get support for.
4: Yeah, and that's... That's built on a, a totally false premise. <clears throat> the false premise is if a, if a school has 95% vaccination rate and another school has 85% vaccination rate, somehow the 85% vaccination rate is uh, less safe than the 95% vaccination because rate. Because it is. It because this Here's the fact. That's how Here's I mean, the fact. Works. Here, excuse me. Here's the fact. If your child is vaccinated and the, child, and the vaccination is working as it should, then the fact of, fact of the matter is your child is safe. Here are the facts. If your child is immune suppressed, for instance, it, like, for instance, if you go to MD Anderson, they don't say, don't bring a child here that's never been vaccinated. You know what they do say? Don't bring a child here that's been recently vaccinated because that child is sloughing off the viruses that he was vaccinated with. The end result is the real threat to the immune suppressed child is not the un. Vaccinated child, but the child that's been recently vaccinated with a live vaccine.
2: Okay, so let's just pick that apart a little bit because there's several things that I think we need to address in that in that statement, Representative Zedler. First of all, um, children in schools where you have a lower immunization rate, you have a much higher risk of getting diseases that spread through that population. And it's not just my kids I'm worried about. Believe me, my kids are fully vaccinated with everything. Um, But I'm not just concerned about my kids. I'm concerned about all the kids in the community. I'm concerned about the the one-year-old at Representative Vialba's house who um, is not protected yet adequately from mumps and measles and from pertussis. And if that disease comes home from school, I'm very concerned that his child will end up in the hospital or even worse. And so this is not just about you vaccinate your child, therefore he's safe and you don't have to worry about what happens with my child because it impacts the entire community. That's how herd immunity works. That's what community immunity is all about.
4: So how does your vaccinated child bring a disease home that they're vaccinated for to give to the one one month. So baby.
2: the measles Virus is one of the most contagious viruses on the face of the planet It can live on surfaces up to two hours after the person with measles has gone. So it could easily uh, <laughs> Representative Yalba's child who is older could bring it home on the backpack and it could get in his baby could be infected not only that, there are other people in our community who are immune compromised, and that is what you're talking about with MD Anderson. Those people are very, very fragile. They're in a very fragile state. It, it is an exceptionally, exceptionally rare occurrence that someone sheds vaccine, and that's only from live viruses.
4: That's and right. That's, but why that's why they say have don't bring them a, you here. Have so, very, a, so if you've had, you uh, so if you have a school that's forcing a bunch of people a to get vaccinated, Anderson and yeah. the Public schools. No, so sir. What, okay. Uh, no, sir. The um, deal is, if you're forcing a bunch of people to get, to get vaccinated in order to get into school, then guess what happens? They're bringing those live vaccines that they're shedding in with them to go to everybody.
5: May I ask a question? Um, as far as a parent's right to know, you're talking about a parent has a right to know the vaccine uh, numbers in their school. So if we're talking about a parent's right to know, would you support an informed consent bill where parents actually get to see the vaccine ingredients that they are consenting to for their child? We already have that, it's called the VIS. (laughs)
6: There's already that does not consent. It's called
5: the VIS. That doesn't vaccine contain information statement is mandated vaccine. by law. I asked a question to, to Representative Vialba and I would like for him to answer
3: it. Well, I perceive that we do have those kinds of protections. I I got my, what, my my ass effects from So my, you would prefer-
5: support informed consent? I, I,
3: I, all I know is this. When I get my little pills from from my my reflux, I look at a thing, and there's about 50 paragraphs that describes exactly what's in that bill, uh, or what's in that that drug. Same thing with vaccinations. I don't have do any... Do not get those any, with any, vaccines? I, Currently? I don't have any, I don't have any problem with that kind of a with providing that kind of information.
5: So you um, believe that parents should get the vaccine package inserts when they vaccinate their children. You would support a bi- an informed consent bill where they had access to that information. Sure.
4: Okay. B- it, because the fact of the matter is they're not given that. Let me tell you. I, I went in not too given long ago and got a vaccination statement,
5: which down.
1: Excuse me. Boils okay. The most I have a I cor- went right.
4: in to get a let vaccination represent for tetons, Butler, Let me just And they did not give here. me anything. They gave me the shot. Beep.
1: Well, so, I would. Yo. So, what about this concept Did of this shot? Uh, sure <laughs> <laughs> transparency? With you know, should and by the way, the immunization rates of all schools are available on the Texas Tribune website. We get that data and and update it by but, school,
7: uh,
1: not by campus. Not by it's campus. by district. We want yeah. by campus. Yeah. So that's what I wanted. to, Represent Zudler, Ms. Shagel. Um, you know, what's do you see a problem with with parents who are sending their kids to um, to a certain campus just to be able to yeah. look up and say, okay, like this is, you know, this is what I'm dealing with. Maybe they do have a kid that, that has, um, you know, that's going through chemo, for instance, and can't get vaccinated. Um, and they just, they just want to know what's, what's going on at my campus.
4: Okay. First, first of all, the majority of kids, uh, e- even uh, they can still get a lot of these kids that are going undergoing some of these uh, conditions still can get vaccinated. But the other thing is it still falls into the false premise. That somehow an unvaccinated child puts them more at risk than the child that's been recently vaccinated with live vaccines. That's why MD Anderson does not allow you to come. They don't, they don't sit there and say, Have you, has your child been vaccinated ever? No, they say, has your child been recently vaccinated why- with a live vaccine? Why? Because that is the child that puts these people most but at m- risk. why
3: are you the arbiter? of what is that, to make that decision? Why is it that you can tell me whether or not I have the transparency in the schools? If I want to know what, what the campus the like, same why are you reason to, you get why, to decide why are for, the laws I'm, I'm, that are being passed speak, on whether speak, we get I'm to speaking,
5: vaccinate
4: or not. I'm speaking to Representative Zedler um, and I'm asking him a question. Yeah, uh, well, uh, here's the thing. I, I think if, if, we're, if we're really gonna be transparent, let's give them all the facts, Not just a handful. For instance, let's give them all the facts about, you know, the kids that have been recently vaccinated pose a greater threat than the people who are unvaccinated. So... I I have no problem with it. But see, basically, Anna and her group only wants to give a very narrow, select group of facts. Well, let's... let's, I'm sorry.
1: I'm going to interrupt you. But, um, (laughs) you know, we know... Representative Zedler, Representative Yalba, you guys are in the Texas legislature. You know that legis- it's an incremental process. The passing laws, step- it's step by step. I mean, right. why is putting out the vaccine, the vaccine exemptions
5: for, I mean, why is that not a good initial Where first step? Where do we step? draw the line? Where, what well, else, else are, are, are we gonna report right on other children? It's not the line. What else are we, what personal liberties are you willing to sacrifice? Because you need to think about that. You may love your vaccines. You may want all 300 that are in the making right now. I don't know. Nor do I really care what you do for your family. The question is, where do you draw that line between the state infringing on those personal decisions? And do you want do you them, them tracking and reporting draw the line and on, on the
2: you? liberty of parents to send their children to schools that are safe and are protective of their health?
4: And that—that that means giving li- all This is definitely nice, a nice
2: liberty question.
3: We draw lines all the time in the legislature. I would draw the line where the community is, becomes unsafe. And it seems to me, that as a parent, that I have the right to know whether or not I believe my child is unsafe. Uh, I know that he, Representative Zedler says that's a faulty premise, but why should he be the arbiter of the premise? It should be determining whether or not that premise is faulty or not. Uh, my friend to, to my left would disagree, and she said that's a strong premise, and it is less safe if you go to an un- unimmunized or a school with less immunizations. So, I, look, we, all we're trying to do here is policymakers, and I can't speak for the activists. As a policymaker, what matters to me is the safety and well-being of my community, particularly the most vulnerable in my community, the the newborns, the elderly, the immunized, compromised folks, and all we're trying to do is make it safer. You can, in your bizarro world, talk about how immunizations don't work or this or that, but in the end, science has proven that immunizations make our community safer. I want to make our community safer, it's that simple. This is not a question that we should be debating. Uh, I, I was looking at your question yesterday, hey, you wanted to start this, why are we debating this? And then my, my my chief of staff said, "Exactly. I mean, we shouldn't even be up here having this conversation."
4: Oh no no no! We should be having <laughs> this conversation. Because let me put it this way, friends: the more open debate we have about things, the better. You know who once always wants to shut down the debates? The left. The fact of the matter is is that over and over again, they want to shut down debates. You left? know why?
1: Are you calling <laughs> Representative
5: Vialva? Oh love? no. You're, no you're... You know. <laughs> Your fellow Republican up here? <laughs> well,
4: that might be a stretch. <laughs> uh, be, because, you know what? I, I welcome debate. But you know what? It's just like when they had this uh, documentary, Vaxxed. Guess what they tried to do? They tried. To, they ran circles down. around trying to shut it down. We don't want to hear that side of the story, that kind of thing. So uh, I believe that we ought to have free and open debates about this because the more <clears throat> free and open debates we have, the better off we have. Let me tell you something. When I have an issue that I, that I know I'm right on, hey, I welcome debates. Be careful of the people who want to shut them down. Well, I wasn't suggesting that
3: we shouldn't have this conversation. What I was suggesting is that we, don't, we shouldn't be having it because it shouldn't even be a question. It should already be settled. See? It should, it should be settled information. <laughs> Kind of like,
4: it's all settled, no debate necessary. Why don't we
3: debate debate whether or not you should have leeches to get a good bleeding tonight, right, for your health? (laughs) I mean, we want to go to medieval science, we can do that, but we're talking about something that is proven over and over and over again by the smartest doctors all around the world. It's not a question any longer. I mean, we're not talking about something that may or may not work.
1: So I think I'm going to have to be the one to shut this debate down right here for a second, just because I have one last question, and then we're gonna open it uh, to the audience. But, um, and this one is for Ms. Shagel and and Representative Vialba. Um, Last session, you guys were on very opposite sides, um, but you had something in common. It was the first time that each of you had had waded into this debate over vaccines. Um, I'm curious, you know, Ms. Shagel, from a parent's perspective, Representative Vialba, you're a lawmaker and a parent, what what advice would you have or, or what have you learned from that experience and, and is there anything that that we can draw on like as a community
5: as we're trying to navigate this issue. Um, Ms. Shigley, you wanna go first? Sure. Um, well, as I like to say, I am just a mom. I mean, how many times have I said that? I've said that 50,000 times, I'm just a mom. I never in a million years thought I would be in the middle of this movement, much less on this stage sharing about vaccine choice. Um, but I think um, parents are really, really concerned right now. They are concerned about the line of the state infringing on our rights. We're very, very concerned about. About that um, and I think it just goes to show you that um, everybody can get active and have a role um, and we shouldn't be silent and we should fight back and we should stand up for their ch- our children there is a susceptible group who will be injured by their vaccines we know that my child is one of them um, even though I'm here on Texans for vaccine choice ultimately I'm driven by my child Um, So I think when we were doing the rounds at the Capitol, that was one of the things that we kept hearing is, wow, we've never seen so many moms so active. Well, as I tell our members all the time, we all have a role, we all have a voice, so get active and let your voice be heard. Representative Bialba.
3: Well, being married to a mama bear, (laughs) what I've learned is don't mess with the mama bears. Um, And we found that out in the campaign, right? Uh, the, The folks from Texas for vaccine choice came out strongly. We still won overwhelmingly. But we, we had a situation where they were very thoughtful. I think they were very effective. I thought they were very passionate. And what I learned uh, from that period of time was just to recognize that uh, these folks feel passionately about this issue. Um, it may or may not be something I agree with, but they really care deeply about this because it impacts their most important uh, entity in their lives, their children. Uh, so when you talk about issues like this, for me, uh, what I've learned is to be more careful uh, when you're dealing with uh, people's children, because that will definitely set off a tinderbox uh, of activism that you'll have to face. Now, uh, again, I believe that that fight is worth having because I believe in protecting our community, and I believe that uh, the rights of, of parents uh, to protect their children against what they perceive to be dangers ends when that infringes upon the rights of the community.
6: Thank you.
1: Um, okay, I'll let uh, Miss dogswick then, Miss uh, Miss. Representative Zedler um, have two final words and we'll go to the audience. Well,
2: thank you also um, to Representative Vialba and um, the rest of the panel for recognizing that this is a mama bear issue. I'm a mama bear too. I've got two kids who've gone through the public schools here in, in Texas. And I, um, I feel very strongly that they should be protected and very strongly that my liberty rights are just as important as everyone else's. Mm. Um, I first got my inspiration for working in vaccines because I was a Peace Corps volunteer in West Africa. And I saw communities that suffered without vaccines. I saw children have polio. I saw children die of whooping cough. I saw children who had um, all kinds of of malformations and, and suffered greatly. And I saw the mama bears, the African mama bears, who would carry children on their back and walk without shoes for 10 miles just to be able to get their children immunized. And when you see that, yes, this is a mama bear issue and this is our kids that we're talking about. And we have to protect them from everything we can.
4: And you know what? I can feel a whole lot more passionately about this as well. If if I got the $170,000 a year that Anna gets for this. So let me tell you, uh, I believe that in essence, uh, the more debate we have on this, the better better off society is. But I still believe that ultimately no one has the right to force someone else to inject something into them. I'll tell you this. I can't tell you the number of mothers or, or, or parents that I've talked to that gave me the same story, that my child was progressing normally, my child was talking, my child was uh, uh, having a personal relationship with their parents and things like that, and all of a sudden we took them in there and we gave them a bunch of vaccines. And all of a sudden, that child not only stopped progressing, they regressed. And you know what? Uh, now, they wanna say, well, there's no evidence of that. You know there's a causal effect when you see the number of vaccines going up and at the same time the instances of uh, vaccine injuries going up, then you know what? The average person would say, gee, there seems to be a relationship here. The other thing is, is this, is that I believe before we do anything, we need to hear from a senior scientist Dr. William Thompson, who was a Center for Disease Control, who was a whistleblower, who basically came out and said our study that was done in 2004 and the data that we came out with was, docu- was doctored to give a different results than what really occurred. And uh, that really the results showed more injuries than what we showed because we doctored the data. So first of all, let's get uh, Dr. Thompson up have him testify, see all the data that he has because then we'll start getting to the truth of this. The other thing is just like I say, we need to get the, uh, uh, the, the drug manufacturers away from the FDA and away from the Center for Disease Control.
6: Okay,
1: well, um, I think we're gonna open it up. I- I, th- I feel like we could just go all day on this topic, but um, we're gonna open it up to questions from the audience. Um, a couple ground rules to start. Um, questions, not speeches, so if you... <laughs> please make sure that you have you know, a concise question for, um, for our panelists. Um, then I would also just um, tell everyone that we, don't, um, we can't really accommodate follow-ups because we wanna be able to get through everyone, so once you ask your question, you can go ahead and sit down. And then um, I guess I don't need those anymore. Um, um, And then um, just also just please be polite and respectful to the panelists. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Um, let's start. Um, And you can go ahead and line up um, behind the microphones here. Um, There's two microphones. Um, We'll start out right over here.
6: My
0: question is for Anna. Uh, You said, made two quick statements, and that just leads to my question. You said that, this is about protecting all children, but then you did say that there are instances that the federal government has acknowledged that they've compensated families whose kids are injured mm-hmm. through vaccines. Mm-hmm. And so my question is, what do you tell the parents and the children in those instances? Do you care for them as much as all the other children, or are they just collateral damage to protect
2: everybody oh, else? Oh, no,
1: not, they're not collateral and the damage. With I- you are with Texans for, for vaccine choice? I'm with uh, or conservative legislators okay. bunch of different nonprofits. I'm
0: a community activist. Yeah. Okay.
2: Okay, thank you for asking that question. Yeah, so so of course they're not collateral damage, that we, we care deeply for every child, not just the, the children who um, are not injured by vaccines. I think what the difference is is that um, what they're talking about here today are children who have some kind of disability that the parents are, attributing to vaccines that actually are not attributable to vaccines. And the reason why we have that alternative to the tort system and we have the vaccine injury court is so that parents can get um, compensation for you know the rare injuries that do happen. Um, and thank goodness we have that because it helps those parents take care of those kids and we care just as much about them. They're not collateral damage. That would break my heart to hear to hear that. Um, No, not at all. Um, And I'm really glad that we have this alternative system because it helps parents access the funds to take care of those children in a much more expedient way and you don't even have to show causation. You just have to show that a child got a shot and had a certain reaction. That's it.
1: Um, Let's go to this question over here.
0: Hi, my name's Brandon Logan. Um, To dispel a couple of myths, I uh, have two doctorates and don't know Jenny McCarthy's position. (laughs) vaccines. Okay. Um, my question goes to the medical exemption. So we do use conscious as, uh, objections for my children because I've sat in a doctor's office when they've gone over my family history um, or my children's family history of um, Lou Gehrig's disease, polyneuropathies, of grand mal seizures, and had the doctor tell me you should be concerned about vaccinations because of the potential for neurological damage long term. Mm-hmm. In the same breath, but I'm not going to give you a medical exemption. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've had that conversation multiple mm-hmm. times. Yeah. Um, doing things like trying to take Dr. Sears' license. For making a vaccine, a medical exemption recommendation is not going to help doctors. Sorry, do you have a question? I I do have a question. Okay. Okay.
4: Um,
0: So the question is, if if my situation, if the medical exemption doesn't take um, care of my situation, um, if you take conscientious objection away, what's left to me? Is that for me? Whomever can answer that? Oh,
3: well, so let's talk <laughs> about that first. I, look, uh, if your doctor um, says... Multiple. Doctors. M- multiple doctors say that, uh, then uh, I, I can't speak to your doctor. I don't know what the thinking was behind not giving you a proper exemption. Because I think, the
0: vaccine insert... I'm sorry, because the vaccine insert says, my child has to have Lou Gehrig's disease for this, dis- for this vaccine to be contraindicated. The, the Sir, issue I'm sorry. Is, no, 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 the issue we're is We're
5: trying the, to get
1: through. You know, I think it's a very very
5: valid point though is that we are taking <clears throat> that decision out of the hands of medical doctors and put it into the hands of politicians. And that is not acceptable. No. I I the the period. That's the, that's the
3: opposite of it, what he just said.
5: Yeah, it, under those circumstances, you would
2: have access to a medical exemption if you could find a doctor who agreed that there was a valid medical If you attention.
5: can find a doctor. No, and doctors no are scared right now. They are terrified.
2: If there's no non-medical exemption and there is no uh, non-medical exemption available
1: to you, you have other options for, immuni- for educating your but child.
0: Your employers are going Sir, after
1: Thank you. You've had your chance to ask. You can continue the conversation after the panel, if you'd like. Um, question over here. Oh, yes. My name is Allison Thompson. I'm an RN. I'm a mom of two. Uh, I'm a professor of nursing at Austin Community College. My kids go to school, and here in central Austin, it's 43% poverty level. And I'm just wondering what level of privilege is this where we have families that can't feed their kids? We have a food pantry because we have a high, low socioeconomic range at our school. What is with the group that... Uh, I'm sorry, what's your name? Jackie Schlegel. What's the level of socioeconomic privilege in your group? The people who are in poverty, did they worry about
5: that? Do you have poor people who... Moms, dads work three, four jobs. Are they with
6: you? Are you- um, that
5: would pretty much be my family, if you want to be brutally honest. Okay. Um, is that my family doesn't make a lot of money? Um, and this is why it's so insulting to hear Representative Vialba say, send your kid to private school or homeschool them, because not all of us have those resources, Representative Vialba. I mean, I understand that's very easy for you to say, right. you know, a- as a lawyer from uh, Dallas, that you know you have that many options, but not all of us do. My group, in particular, is very, very diverse. We have people from all walks of life. So, Good. do you benefit from a food pantry from your kids? Sorry, do you- no
1: follow-ups. No. Okay. I'm sorry. Um, next question.
7: Howdy, my name is Jonah Chen. I'm from the Bush School in Texas a University. My question is for all the panelists. Um, with public
3: administration and legislators, they take stances based on the information that they receive, whether it's misinformation from authoritative sources or accurate information. Could you go down the line and say where you? Got your information, not from case studies, but from authoritative sources.
2: Sure, sure, sure. Uh, You start with me? Okay. My information comes from the CDC, the FDA, the um, Centers for uh, the um, American Academy of Pediatrics, um, and um, the uh, National Institutes of Health.
3: Uh, Same here. We did a deep dive on this issue when we started drafting the bill. We went through the same analysis that she went through, so CDC, NIH, uh, all the major medical communities, uh, TMA, uh, the the doctors in Dallas, the doctors here, the, the Texas Association of Pedi- Pediatrics, uh, we had PTA. We talked to many people as we could on the issue.
4: Uh, I got my. I, I spent thirty three years in the healthcare industry, so I, I gained a lot of information from there. But the other thing is, when I got onto this, I uh, got in, uh, talked to a number of doctors. I talked to, I got studies and that kind of thing. And, uh, uh, for instance, just recently there was a study uh, that came out uh, in France that showed a correlation between the increase in hepatitis B vaccines and multiple sclerosis. And so, you know, when people say there is no harm to this, uh, and and the other thing is, is this, I know a little bit about how you catch hepatitis B. You know what? The fact of the matter is we're giving every newborn child hepatitis B. That's pretty well mandated. And if you try and uh, say, no, I don't want that, boy, they go apoplectic. The fact of the matter is is there's only one type of child that ought to be uh, a newborn baby that ought to be given a hepatitis B vaccine. And that is if the, hepatitis, the mother is hepatitis B positive. But you know what? Other than that, the vast majority of the patients that get hepatitis B, are the ones that uh, should be. Okay, I'm gonna uh, s- go ahead. stop you right, All right, so
5: we can just, okay, Ms. Shagel. Oh, th- I mean, I'm a mom. I think I've been very clear about that. I'm not here to debate the science. I'm here to talk about parental <coughs> rights and vaccine choice and informed consent. Next question.
6: Um, yes, my name is Rachel Williams. I am a person with autism, uh, as is my older brother.
1: Uh, um, this is question is more directed towards Ms. Shagel and Representative Zedler what are what is your response to people like my older brother and I who who can't agree with certain points that you are making but are frequently turned off by ableist rhetoric such as referring to people who are like me he and my brother and other people with disability he's as damaged or or uh, as like an epidemic what
6: is your response to that?
5: Well, first of all, you're very brave for being here. I, I am the parent of a child with autism and I hope and pray to God one day she can stand up and speak like you have, but right now she can't. Um, I've been to the best specialists all across the country and my child is damning. She has a brain injury. She lives in pain every single day of her life as a direct result of her vaccines. And I have a whole medical team that agrees with me. And here's what's mind blowing is you have people who want to sit here and argue about my daughter and her medical records that they've never seen. But that, that, that is standard. That is what we do. We're not talking about individual children. We're talking about just this greater vaccines do not cause this, but my doctors have absolutely agreed that they do. Um, In in my child's instance, did cause her brain injury. Um, So I think, you know, we we do have some damaged children. If you do not consider yourself in that group, then we respect the individual. We are not here to blanket anybody under a term that they don't wanna be covered under. Next question.
6: Hi, my name is Zoe Whitworth, and I'm a
5: pre-medical student at Schreiner University. Um, Regarding cookie cutter healthcare, I'm legally blind
1: without my glasses, and the back of my state-issued driver's license says that I must wear them.
5: Uh, Do you think that is an infringement on my liberty that I am administered an eye test by a non-medical professional at the time of licensing? I don't know enough about this topic to discuss it, so I'm not gonna answer that question. I I,
4: I think a medical professional should give it to you, so.
6: Mm
2: -hmm. Okay. I think you make a great point about liberty. And you know there are some li- limits sometimes. Because certainly, you could argue that you have the liberty to drive without your glasses. Um, but you have your glasses on, thank God. Um, and that keeps us all
6: safer. So thank you for your question. Thank you. Next question. Hi, my name's Andrea Hodge. I'm from Houston. I'm a mom. My family actually comes from California, but I've lived in Texas for 20 years. I'm not really afraid of Californians. Um, <laughs> I would like to direct this uh, question at Representative Zedler about um, your behavior on this panel because I've observed that while um, advocating for individual liberties, your uh, voting record is not consistent on this point. And also, you would have people text, you'd have women's choices, medical choices limited by uh, state legislation, and you've specifically referred to a woman on this panel as Sir Twice and brought up her salary, and I think that was all very inappropriate in terms of the context of the discussion, and I was compelled to come up here and talk and ask, how can you represent yourself as a a defender of liberty when your record is very inconsistent on this?
4: Well, what you probably talked about is my record on defending human life, and uh, the Constitution says that there are certain inalienable rights that we have, and one of them is the right to life, and yes, I will protect the individual patient's right to life over someone else's freedom to choose. And so
6: also the thank you. i right. sorry, so, no follow-ups. So, um, th- th- thank, you
2: for, thank you for pointing out the, um, the um, inconsistencies with Representative Settler's um, positions because he actually has co-authored several bills, one of which was a mandate for um, preschool immunizations um, for, I believe it was the um, um Hep C. Hep C uh, no, Hep a. HEP a. And which other was the vaccine that you mandated? <laughs> yeah. He actually has. He's been a great defender. And even last session, he passed one of the only Sometimes vaccine we bills we learn that passed.
4: Okay.
2: Yeah. So thank you for your um, efforts last session with immunization legislation because we were very
1: successful with your help. Next question. <laughs>
2: Uh, so my question is about the liberty and the infringement that you're about. So do you not allow your children to participate in public school sports? You need a physical, a pre-examination physical um, for their participation. So are they not allowed to play sports because that's mandated by their school? It's basically the same thing. They have to get checked by a professional to make sure they don't have heart diseases, they don't have a history of anything that's going to cause them to have a heart attack while they're playing football with their gear on. Right, so kind of just going off of that, what what would your response be?
4: Are you are you talking to me? I don't
2: know. I, I think it yeah. goes back again to the liberty um, argument that you know, you, you, of course, you have the liberty to allow your child to um, to go and play sports without a physical. But if you want to do that, then you, they can't play at a public school. So I mean, there are. Thank you for pointing out yet one more um, limit to what we allow in our public schools.
1: Okay, And this one um, is actually going to have to be our last question because we're already at time.
7: My Mm -hmm. name is Del Bigtron, the producer of the film Vaxxed, um, which does point out that we have a whistleblower at the very CDC you keep referring to saying they've committed scientific fraud and that vaccines are causing autism. If you'd like to see it, you can see Vaxxed anywhere in the world now. But my question is this. You talk about herd immunity. And you talk about herd immunity, you put that on the backs of babies. We're injecting them with toxins to reach this 95% threshold of herd immunity. But if I was to ask this audience if they've had a booster in the last 10 years, 75% of them would probably say no, they haven't. Now, my question to you is when your one-year-old was at home and you were putting the onus on children at the school, did you go out and get your booster for the MMR and all of the vaccines that your children are getting? Because, and And beyond that, would you mandate adults to have vaccines in order to achieve your theory of herd immunity. Exactly.
3: I travel overseas uh, regularly, so I get my uh, updated immunizations pretty regularly, probably every three to five years. Um, As far as mandating boosters, um, much like the flu shot, I don't necessarily think that that's something that uh, we can show that there's tremendous evidence that you have to have that or not. Um, So I I, I I haven't really formulated a, 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 a position on that issue, Uh, Again, my thinking was to protect our community at large, and I was more worried about the the children in the entire school rather than one, two, three, four different individual children.
2: I want to thank Del for bringing up the topic of Vaxxed, his movie. Um, if you decide to go and watch that movie, you'll probably have a lot of questions afterwards. Please feel free to consult us, and we'll be happy to help set the record straight. Have
7: you seen it? Okay. Right. Have seen it? Yes, I actually, no, no, I have. So I, I insist on, I, Sir, I meeting our panel is already US. five I'm, minutes
1: over time. I'm, I'm sorry. going to
7: issue a challenge, because I'm the director of the movie Vaxxed.
1: Dr. This Wakefield, issue is about everyone.
7: safety and efficacy, and I challenge you two to a debate anywhere and
4: anytime you like on the issues of vaccine safety and efficacy, televised and in public, before you pass any more of these ridiculous bills. Amen. to pass okay. any more mandatory vaccination bills. So <laughs> I open that challenge up to you. Please, will you respond?
5: Will Hello. you respond, I mean, Representative? Oh, you want, you want a debate?
4: Yeah. I'm, I'm Um,
2: Mr. Wakefield, I refuse to debate you. I'm
4: not going to debate you. He refuses, she
5: refuses to debate. I refuse to debate you
2: because you are discredited and you don't have any authority on this topic. (laughs)